on behalf of Bishop James Hansensaki and Pastor Justine Hansensaki, I want to welcome you to this evening's midweek service. If you are new here, this is Christchurch International, and this is our weekly midweek service that we have every Wednesday evening. This evening, you have joined us at the right moment because today we have another get understanding. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. The get understanding services are special services where um, the Holy Spirit uses Bishop James to answer all our questions for us in all aspects of life and in all aspects of our Christian work. Hallelujah. Last week, if you are here with us, we spoke about fake churches and fake pastors, and we learned a lot. Bishop told us how to identify fake pastors, how, do I, how to identify fake churches, and he taught us that we have to, above all else, pray that God will give us the gift of discerning of spirit, that we'll be able to discern when the spirit in operation is not from the Lord. Hallelujah. And so this evening we have another get understanding and we have another powerful topic that we'll be talking about this evening. Um, if you have any questions as we go on, you can post it in the chat where you are, Christ Church HQ on YouTube, or you can send us an email to Christ, um, get understanding at Christchurches.org and we will pick it up and put it to Bishop. So are you ready? I'll give you two minutes. Invite a friend. If you haven't sent the link out, send the link out. Invite a friend. Get your, your notepads, your iPads, your Bibles, your pens. Get ready as we welcome our very own Bishop James Hansen Saki to this evening. Um, this evening's Get Understanding. Shall we welcome him with a clap? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much for joining us this evening, Bishop. We are very grateful that you are here. And Amen. if you have, if you are here again with us last week, you know that this evening we are talking, we'll be talking about demons and how to cast out demons. I'm excited, you know. The Bible says that for lack of knowledge, my people perish. This evening we are coming to get knowledge so that we do not perish. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Glory be to Jesus. I'm excited to see everybody here. And I also believe that there are many wonderful people online um, at the moment uh, watching us. And I believe that you have tuned in with not only with your ears but at least with some device to take down some notes. Um, and I pray that God will visit us this morning, uh, this evening and speak to us and bring understanding to us in Jesus' name. As I've always said, this style of teaching was also practiced by Jesus. Uh, many times the Bible says, and he sat down and he taught the people. Um, the first time he preached by the seaside, he borrowed someone's boat and he sat down and he taught the people. And the Bible says that the people came to him, asked him questions, and then he sat down and he taught them. And when we talk about Matthew chapter 5, he was not standing. The whole of Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 6 and chapter 7, he was sitting down and teaching. And so we thank God for tonight that he will also, through the Holy Spirit, bring understanding to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I believe that you can do something better when you have an understanding of it. 
And so there are many times we read the scriptures and there are things we don't understand. We also see different practices and we are not sure whether we are supposed to be practicing them or not. So these sessions are also very good to give us understanding. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Father, we thank you tonight. We pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you give understanding. Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide us into all truth and teach us all things and show us things to come. We ask that the Holy Spirit manifest himself in this capacity in the mighty name of Jesus. We take authority over every satanic power. And we ask in the name of Jesus that they lose their power of influence against the service and against the teaching. In the name of Jesus, Father, we pray that your kingdom come in this service and your will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. We are kicking off right now. Hallelujah. Amen. So, um, last week and this week, Papa, yes. um, we advertised that we, apart from the topic that we discussed last week, mm. we'll be talking about how to cast out demons. Yes. And I think that it's, um, it's one topic where we don't usually talk about it a lot as Christians. Mm. Some of us may be afraid of demons, so we don't <laughs> want to talk about it. Some of us are not exactly sure what to do with them. So we are really happy that this evening you are going to teach us about them. So I think we'll start off, before we get to how to cast them out, we'll start off by saying or asking, what are demons or who are demons? Okay. Thank you very much for the question. What are demons? Um, we didn't know about them until Jesus introduced us to them. It was Jesus who on many occasions in the scriptures, we are told he cast them out. Uh, but then when we study the whole of the word of God, uh, we see the existence of someone called Satan. Uh, Satan is not the same as demon. Uh, Satan is sometimes called the devil. Uh, but he is one entity called Satan. Uh, in Genesis, we are by chapter 3 we see someone talking to Eve and then we are told that it was Satan who worked through the serpent to deceive Eve. Many times in the scriptures we see that we are told and Satan tempted David and Satan stood at the right hand of Joshua the high priest. So there is the existence of an entity called Satan. Um, and where did he come from? Because I need to introduce him before we know who is a demon. Um, so the Bible also tells us that in Genesis, where he came into the garden, we are also told before in Revelations that in Revelation chapter 12, the Bible says there was war in heaven and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels also fought back and then they were defeated and they were cast to the earth. And the scripture described him as that old serpent called the devil, who was in Eden, um, who was cast down with his angels. Now, the Bible says that he rebelled against God, and he caused one-tenth of the, one-third of the angelic host in heaven to also rebel against God. Um, so, this one-third of the angelic host in heaven, we don't know their number, but the scripture also tells us there are innumerable company of angels in heaven. So, 
We don't know their number, but the Bible says he managed to convince one third of the angels in heaven to rebel against God. This is in Revelation chapter 12. And so they were cast down to the earth. Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 also tells us that there was such a person in heaven before called Lucifer, son of the morning. And he pride and arrogance entered into him and he decided to fight against God. The Bible says his beauty deceived him and the authority God has given to him all went into his head and he felt he too can take over God's throne. And the Bible says he made his five-point manifesto in Isaiah 14 where he says, I will ascend above the stars of God. I will set up my throne above the stars of God. And then he went on with the five I, I wills and then he says, I will be like the most high God. And so based on his rebellion, the Bible says he was cast down to the earth with one-third of the angels in heaven. It is this one-third of the angels in heaven who were cast down with that person called Satan who are now called demons. So there is only one Satan, there is only one devil, but there are many demons. And so we need to get this understanding. Then demons, therefore, who are they? They are disembodied beings. That means that they are persons without bodies. They are persons, they don't have a physical body as you and I, but they are persons. In fact, one scripture comes to mind, and that is Matthew chapter 12, verse 43 to 45. If we read it from the New Living Translation, Matthew 12, 43 to 45. When an evil spirit leaves a person, it goes into the desert seeking rest but finding none. Then it says, I'll return to the person I came from. So it returns and finds its former home empty, swept and in order. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Amen. Amen. So we see here that Jesus is the one speaking here. Whenever Jesus is teaching, pay attention. That is not to say don't pay attention to the apostles. They, we are talking about Jesus because he is God. And so when he's saying something, these are things he had experienced that Peter would not have experienced yet. Uh, and he's telling us when an evil spirit leaves a person, that means that evil spirit is a person who can stay in another person and then move out of that person when that evil spirit is commanded to leave that person. And then it says it goes into the desert so it can move. And it's seeking rest, but it finds none. Then it says, though it can speak, it speaks to himself or can speak to another person. I will return to the person I came from. The old King James it says, I will return to the house where I came from. May you not be a house of the devil. May you not be a house of demons. How could you be the residential address of a demon? He he knows you and says, this is my house. Says, I will return to the house where I came from. So it returns and finds the home empty. It means it can see, it can move, it can visit. So these entities, they are persons without physical bodies. And they most of the time need a physical body to work in and operate. Demons are messengers of Satan. 
they work with him. These are the fallen angels. So they are, they were angels in heaven. They had now fallen to the earth. They still have some power with them. The Bible says the gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. That's why Satan is still powerful. Jesus will finally derobe him and destroy everything. He was destroyed. He was, he was dealt a blow at the cross. Man was delivered and saved. But Satan still carries some power as he operates on this earth. And demons still have some power to operate on this earth. And so the scripture teaches us that these entities called demons, they are persons and they live in persons, humans, and they can also live in other non-human things. They can live in trees and can live in rivers. They can live in any place because they are spirit beings and they are fallen angels. It means that some of them can manifest with angelic wings, but they may not be from God. Uh, we, will, we will explore all of that tonight. But to answer the question simply, this is an evil spirit. It is a spirit being. It is not having a human body. It needs a human body to attach itself to, to operate. They are fallen angels. They used to be in heaven before, and they were part of the one third that Satan managed to deceive. Now, that's very serious, too. It tells you how satanic Satan is. How serious Satan is as far as his wicked operations. The name Satan means adversary. And it comes from the word diabolos, that is diabolical. Um, for, for, for them to believe him against God who made them is amazing. And it tells you how satanic slander can work and satanic operations can work. But the Bible tells us that these are wicked spirits because the verse 45 says, when the spirit cannot, comes back and realizes there is a door open, that means when Satan leaves you or a demon gets out of you and you don't organize yourself in terms of serving God, filling that space with the word of God, service of God, etc., and righteous living, a demon can come back in. And the Bible says that he goes to find other spirits more evil than itself. That means he knows it's evil, <clears throat> but there are higher ranking ones who are also very wicked. And they will all enter the person. That means that a lot of demons can enter one person. And in the scriptures, we, we will see that you know, one man was possessed with demons and 2,000 demons came out of him. He alone is a residential address of 2,000 demons. And the Bible says that the person's state is worse off. It tells you also the nature of demons. They destroy things. They don't make a place or a person function normally to the glory of God. They will, the man's state was worse than before. It means that if, if at the time the demon was cast off out of him, probably he smokes just one you know, piece of cigarette a day. Now when they went and the demon got out and he finally came back, now the guy could do worse things. I mean, 20, 20 cigarettes doesn't really move him at all. Now he moves on to cannabis and cocaine and all of that. You know, start mixing things. Do all kinds of chemistry with these things. And the worst state of the man. So anywhere there are demons, that place is not a good place. They don't end well. It always ends in some danger and destruction. So in the nutshell, these are demons. Okay. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 They are evil spirits. They are fallen angels. 
and they reside in human beings and non in um, inanimate things as well. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, Bishop, what's yeah. the the connection between demons, witches, wizards? Okay. <laughs> um, witches and wizards are human beings that have been possessed by demons to operate as witches or wizards. Um, so they all use satanic power, which is a demon, to, to make them operate as witches or as wizards. Um, so contrary to what people normally think, that witches are females and wizards are males, uh, the fact is that in the real sense of their operations, a wizard seems to be of a higher rank than a witch. And wizards have extra satanic power to summon spirits and send them. Whereas witches, so that means a wizard can send a witch. He can summon a witch and send. He can summon spirits and send them to, to places. So sometimes a wizard can send a spirit being into somebody's room to, to attack the person. You know, so they remotely control these things. So these are human beings who, who are possessed with satanic powers to either function as witches or wizards. Amen. And can you be possessed by a demon and not know? Um, it is possible to be possessed by a demon. The difference is that when we are born again, a demon can't possess the spirit of one who is truly born again. Because if you are truly born again, the spirit of God dwells in your human spirit. And therefore, a demon can't come and possess. To possess means to take over and, you know, override your operations. But a demon can afflict a believer. A, a demon can disturb a believer. A demon can cause all kinds of trouble, but will not be able to possess you. Now, somebody else can also be possessed by demons and they won't know um, because they will think it is a normal behavior. And they will accept that behavior as normal until it is discerned and that demon is cast out. So sometimes some people behave in some strange ways, but because people are not discerning, they say, oh, for this one, that's how he is. Since infancy, this, house, this is how they all are. But actually, they may all be controlled by some demons operating in a particular way. Um, and so, yes, it is possible for someone. And sometimes when you engage that person, you say, I don't have control of what I'm doing, but I just don't like it, but I find myself doing that. So it's a sign that there may be some kind of possession and it will take the spirit of God to descend that. So it is not every behavior that we should just look at and accept. Uh, sometimes something is def definitely wrong and a demon is actually in operation. Sometimes they say they hear voices and another voice is telling them to go and do something. Uh, sometimes it's not a voice to kill themselves, but it's always to harm someone or to do something or to be sent to do something. So they have certain experiences too. And then there are people who may be possessed. Just that they don't know that it is actually a possession, but they will just consider it as a unique experience they're having because somebody comes to have a chat with them. They see an entity who is guiding them or maybe at midnight they are ushered to come out of their bodies and they go into a certain meeting and they are promoted. They eat certain things. And then he comes back in the next morning back to the body. 
and do all these experiences and think it's a very unique experience, you know, but doesn't know really that it is a possession. Hallelujah. Amen. We are learning this evening. Um, one last question before we go on to how to cast demons out. Yes. Are there any things that, so you said that a, a truly born again Christian mm. cannot be possessed by the, a demon, but can be afflicted by a demon. Yes. Are there any things that we do as people that can open us up to either possession or affliction by demons? Yes, the sin. <laughs> sin. That's one of the reasons why temptations come is Satan is after this. He knows the eternal principles of God. That there's no way he, any demon or even Satan himself can access you except to be sin. It is the very reason why throughout the scriptures, the word of God warns us against sin. It is the very reason why in the New Testament, you see that even though we are saved, we see many warnings from all the apostles in all their teachings and writings warning about sin. Uh, because I think in 1 John, um, 1 John or 2 John, it says that, you know, don't sin and the evil one does not touch you. You know, so that means that when we sin, it opens the door. Um, the scripture says in Ecclesiastes um, that when we we break the hedge, the serpent will bite. Um, so we have a hedge of protection around us, but sin can actually be the main thing that opens the door. Sin is the main thing. Hallelujah. Amen. Sin opens the door, and that's why it's important that we live a holy life. Amen. Amen. Um, just a second. We have a question here, Papa. Yes. Um, it says, what about someone who is possessed by a demon before becoming a Christian? What happens? Okay. Um, there are two things that may happen. Um, one of them is that when we receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ and we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we are saved, the Bible says the Holy Spirit comes in. So at that point in time, any demon in there will give way, will have to give way. If they don't, then probably there's something else. Um, but So that is what happens. The second thing is that when someone receives Christ, um, and that's why it's important whether our salvation is genuine, whether we have actually repented, because if we follow the principles of the word of God, there is no way the spirit of God can dwell in the same place with Satan's spirit or with a demon in the same place. And so when we are born again, this should happen. But then if one is possessed already, then we move on to the next level of actually specifically praying and casting any demon out. I believe it's always the practical thing to do after we have led someone to Christ, if they say the, the, the sinner's prayer, so, I mean, we call it sinner's prayer. It's not in the Bible. <laughs> but we call it sinner's prayer. The prayer that we lead those who are not born again to pray so that they can be born again. When we do so, I believe that at every point in time, we must also pray that the presence of any demon in this body from today leave, you know, so that at least it can help. If we do that, and we still see a sign, it's, it's not necessarily a possession, but then it has moved into affliction. So where the person's mind can be afflicted, 
you know, a demon can trouble the person in so many other ways. So then we will still have to come in and pray and cast that demon out uh, from afflicting that person in terms of the mind or any disease or any behaviors, etc. Because the human spirit is the one that is saved and the spirit of God goes in there. But your mind and the rest of your body, a demon can afflict. But the main, the human spirit, that's where the Holy Spirit dwells. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in your mind. It dwells in the human spirit. Uh, but that means that the other compartments, when we open the door, uh, a demon can afflict. Amen. Amen. We'll be casting the demon out very soon. But you said something. <laughs> yes, let's roll. Let's let's more questions. You said that yes. a demon cannot exist in the same place as the spirit of God. Mm. How is it that in within churches where we have the spirit of God, people can people who are either afflicted or possessed by demons can come into the service and sometimes go and nothing happens. Where we see from the Bible that the presence of Jesus was enough for demons to come out or approach men and say, what do you want with us and all that. But in some churches, we have people going and coming and they are possessed by demons. How are they able to live and, and operate as, as if the spirit of God is not there? It's a very, very important question. We need the presence of the Spirit of God. Um, so it is possible churches can organize, and they can organize outside the Spirit of God. I mean, stadiums get full on Sundays, and the Spirit of God is not there. Uh, they are not a church. So when, we have, when a church has the power and skill of organization, we can organize people into a place. But as to whether we have prayed enough, fasted, prayed the presence of God, you know, we are not just being mechanical. Every service, we want to see it as new. We want to pray, God, your presence here. It's not like yesterday we had a presence, and we say it is, you know, it's, it's, like, a, it's like an investment, so we can leave it, you know, next Sunday when we come, the presence is the same. No, with God, it doesn't work that way. We need to pray his presence. So when there's not that manifest presence of God in a place, anything can be in a place. You know, they can come in and go. Uh, it's just like the scripture tells us, God is everywhere. And we know that God is omnipresent. But the manifest presence of God is different from the omnipresence of God. Um, otherwise, there should never be a place where Satan will be on this earth. Because God is everywhere. Uh, but there are places where you see that there are satanic temples. You know, God is everywhere, but God is not in that place. The manifest presence of God is not in that place. The manifest presence of God in a place, a demon won't be able to stand. That's why when the presence of God is in the place, we see manifestations. Sometimes we may start the service and it's like, you know, you see the levels of the presence. And then somewhere towards the end of the service, you start seeing the movement of God or people begin to call. And then you see manifestations. You wonder, but why is it that this was, I mean, we gathered here. You know, so the presence of God um, is, in, is in levels. We have to really, you know, make sure that we have, we have covered the ground. There's righteousness in the place. There is the fear of God in the place. There is the power of God through prayer. And that is when we begin to see the manifestations of the presence. Uh, Jesus, after he um, fasted and prayed for 40 days, the, the Bible says that he came to um, Capernaum um, and also went to Nazareth. Uh, but the Bible says, and he entered the synagogue, as was his custom. And he began to read. And the Bible says, and in that place, there was a person possessed with a demon. It's possible this person has been coming here all the time. The rabbis were there. The, the synagogue uh, leaders were there. 
but this person has been coming back and forth until Christ came into the meeting. The power that was with him after he had gone to fast and pray for 40 days was very evident. As soon as the demon saw him, he cried out and said, what have we got to do, Jesus of Nazareth? Are you here to destroy us before the time? You know, it was very clear that the presence was enough to provoke that. But, but until Jesus came in, the guy was sitting calmly in the service. You know, maybe I'm sure he has even finished drumming. And he's, <laughs> he's in the service. Um, but that is what happened. Another occasion, the Bible says that Jesus entered a, 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 temp, um, a synagogue again, and there was a woman who was bent over. Uh, for 14, 18 years, she has been like that. You know, she, she's having medically what we would have called scoliosis, you know, which is a curvature of the spine. And, but she has been coming to church. They definitely would have been carried here, or she just walks like that, you know, coiled like a lobster, walking in there. But the Bible says Jesus cast the demon out. And Jesus made a statement. He said, shall this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for these 18 years, not be loosed and set free. But the people who protested were the temple priests. So it is possible that, you know, much as God is everywhere, the manifest presence is what we need in a place. So a church can gather in the name of church, but as to whether the manifestation of the presence of God is there is another thing. And that is why we as Christians and as a church must always pray the presence of God in our service and also to prepare ourselves. You see, God is not a magician. It's magicians who pre perform whether the people are ready or not. But God needs prepared vessels. And it is there that we begin to experience him. Sometimes you, you notice that when we, we are fasting and we are on 21 days or three days, you see that they, as the days progress, the presence of God in the services, you see a change from the beginning when we started to when. Can we have that presence throughout? Can we have that sort of preparation for every service? You will see manifestations. I believe that is... Yes, Papa, thank you so much. So it is the manifest presence of God that we need. Mm. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, there's a question online that I'll take now. Yes. Um, it says, are there more demons in some parts of the world or among some groups of people more than others? Um, it is possible. It is possible because I believe that when the presence of God is in a particular locality, you, you will definitely have demons migrating. <laughs> where Satan is worshipped, there will be an increased activity of satanic presence. Um, and, and, and sometimes when you are very spiritual, you enter some places, you will see, you will feel it in, in the atmosphere. You will feel, it is easy to pray in a particular place, a particular geographical location, because probably the whole place has been prayed up. There is more Souls have been saved. There are more churches, righteous churches in the place. Prayer goes up all the time. The atmosphere is clear. You enter another geographical zone and you could feel that it's very tight here. It's very heavy here. There is some presence here which is not of God. So it is possible that there will be higher concentrations of demonic presence in certain geographical locations as compared to another. Um, I, I do remember the, the late um, Reverend Yonggi Cho. Uh, of the Yudu Full Gospel Church in, North, in South Korea, uh, who led one of the most, I think they are still the largest single Pentecostal church, uh, sitting over one million uh, members. Um, I remember reading something he wrote some years ago 
think that was somewhere in 1990 or 89. And he mentioned the fact that he went to Japan for, to plant a church. And, and when he arrived, the prayer was heavy, you know, as compared to Korea. Because they prayed up the Korean skies. I mean, there's a prayer mountain there. Now, this way, Buddhists too have now become born again. So when they cross their legs and start praying in tongues, my God, the devil himself will know that prayer is going up. They can pray for hours and hours and hours and hours. And you will see that the atmosphere was released for the salvation of people. And in that book, I think it was the fourth dimension. That, that is a book. That's a, one of those early books he wrote in the 80s and 90s. I think, yes, the fourth dimension. And he mentioned how he went to, or I thought I was listening to a tape of him, but it's one of his, the fourth dimension of that book. He mentioned the fact that he went to Japan and he realized that it was not easy to break through the atmosphere in prayer. The way it was easy for them to pray in Korea, it wasn't the same here. He has to really push things for a while because the, the, the presence of powers of darkness is heavier than where he had come from. So sometimes you may feel uh, that so it is possible to have uh, that sort of geographical concentration of satanic powers, if more things are being done in that place that invite satanic presence, where there's bloodshed and there's more sin in a certain place, there is always, as Jesus said, um, where, wherever there is the carcass, you will find the eagles gathering. Hallelujah. Thank you very much, Papa. You're welcome. So now we get to the question that I've been pushing for a while. How do we cast demons out? Um, we, we've, we've seen a lot in movies, in pe people's um, preaching and casting demons out and, you know, with bazookas and thunders and lightnings and, and all sorts and songs and there's a lot, <laughs> there's a lot out there. But how do we, what's the biblical prescription for casting out demons? Amen. What a question. Um. And indeed, it's a very, very important question for the believer to ask and to get an honest biblical answer. Um, it's one thing to watch someone. It's another thing to see whether what we are watching really lines up with scripture. Secondly, are there any formulas? Uh, I remember some years ago, somebody asked me whether it's a formula uh, to cast a demon out. Um, you know, and I remember there's a question asking, you know, do we use specific words as in, I bind you? You know, I bind you. We know that that came from, you know, uh, Matthew 16 um, and then Matthew 18. Uh, it was on those two occasions. The Matthew 16 account, the Bible says from the 13 to 16, um, Jesus on their way uh, asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And then they mentioned what they think men say. And then he asked them, what do they say? And then Peter finally answered the question and he says that you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he says, and I give unto you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And that's whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Two chapters later, he now said the same thing, this time to the rest of the disciples. The first one was to Peter alone. But then that's why some people just think, okay, Peter alone has been given the right to do that. But two chapters later, you see that in chapter 18 and verse 18, he says the same thing to everyone. And he says, I give unto you power that you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you allow. So the word to bind means to arrest, to tie, 
to lock. Um, and he's talking more about dominion. Now, it is from this place that, you know, many have, you know, picked on the word, I bind and I lose. Even though sometimes it has been stretched to the point where, you know, there's error. Because people also believe that if I can bind and lose, then means I can lose angels. You know, I can lose and release some angels from Africa to go and help an election in America <laughs> and all of that. And that is, that is a wrong approach to, to that scripture. Um, many times, as, and because we were growing up as Christians, we saw our pastors, you know, use the word, I bind you, and come out. But I believe that as we study the word of God, we will find out we don't necessarily have to use the word, I bind. You know, because the word, I bind, means arrest. Tie. Lock. Detain. So, I mean, if a policeman meets me on the road and I've broken any rule and he says, I have arrested you, he can't stop there. He needs to really take some action to arrest me. Otherwise, he can't just be saying, I arrest you. Okay. <laughs> I'm standing here watching you. You, you, are, you are doing nothing. I walk home. You know, definitely he has to let me sign something, take me to a station, and then effect the arrest. So, arrest is a verb. You know, so to bind is a verb. Um, like I always say, it's always, it's the same thing when we say I rebuke um, and I insult. You know, if you want to insult me, insult me. Use the word that we can describe it as an insult. Uh, use, make a statement that can be described as a rebuke. In the same way, do something that can be described as having bound or stopped the enemy from operating. Um, because sometimes questions have come as to, we keep on saying I bind and I bind and the demon is still dancing. You know, so is it the particular phrase of words or is it more of power and authority? And I believe that as we study the scriptures, we will find out that when we read the scriptures and see how the apostles and Christ cast demons out, we never heard them use the word I bind. You know, but we have grown to use it. But I want us, even if you used it, that you use it with understanding. That it is, you have to go beyond I bind. It's a very important lesson we are learning here because I've also prayed I bind. And it's, it's, it makes sense, but really think about it. You know, that is that what Jesus really meant? Um, and again, when he gave that authority, was it only in the context of binding demons? Because if you look at the two contexts in which these statements were made, that in my name, I mean, when he says that um, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom, that whatever you bind, he didn't say, I give unto you the keys of the kingdom to bind demons. He says, but whatever you allow on earth will be allowed in the heavens, and whatever you disallow will also be disallowed. And then he moved on to also say that in chapter 18, verse 18, Matthew, to every believer or to, to the Christians or to the uh, um, disciples about the same thing. So I just don't want us to be confined to the usage of the word bind, but more to do it properly, using the authority we have been given. Because we can't just say, I rebuke. We must say something. Because again, I hear people say, because the scripture says, and Jesus rebuked the devil, we see people wanting to cast a demon as I rebuke you. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And that's very funny. Because what have you done which is a rebuke? So far you have been shouting I rebuke, but you have not rebuked. You know, so the demon is not going to take the instruction. It's not going to move away. You know, it's the same thing as shouting everyone. You know, I insult you, I insult you. You see, you have not insulted. 
So I'll just be looking at you, and I'm not going to be offended at all. But it's only when you use certain words that it can be described as an insult, then we can, you can see the effect on the person who has been insulted. Um, I hope we are, we are getting the message. So we need to check that I rebuke you and I bind you. It may be more than that. Um, and I'll share some insight on that. But if you look into the scriptures, you'll find out that, you know, some, based on this, sometimes, you know, people will want to uh, say they want to bind Satan, you know, we have been told to bind demons. You, you realize that you don't find in the scripture that says you bind Satan. Because he, as an entity, Jesus is the one who will bind him. And keep him away for a thousand years. Uh, but that's why he's still around. Because if, if, he's, if he's bindable, I'm sure Paul and the apostles would have done, done it. Uh, but demons, we were asked to cast demons out. And Jesus was not making a mistake. It was not a mistake of words. He knew who Satan was, and he knew who demons were. And he says, in my name, you shall cast out demons. Um, and so it's very, very important. And in terms of exercising this authority, I, I want us to understand that, you know, when Jesus sent the, the apostles, I think um, Luke 17, um, and he asked them to go two by two um, to, to cast demons out, to preach the gospel, to raise the dead, etc. When they did that, there was a shift in the spirit realm. That is a more powerful scripture that tells us what happens. When they came back, we'll read that later, but I'm just giving you a preamble to that. He says that when they came back, they said, even the demons were subject to us in your name. Then he says, I beheld Satan fall like lightning. When they went out to preach the gospel, when they went out to cast demons out. These are the same things that we have been asked to do. When they did the same thing, there were changes in the spiritual realm. The atmosphere was shifting. The spiritual atmosphere was shifting. When we preached the power of the gospel to people and we cast demons out, anything controlling anything in the spirits, higher ranking powers, whatever they are, we don't need to know their names. There will be a shift because as they went to do so, the Bible says even Satan fell. Even Satan fell. So let's learn to follow Jesus' prescription uh, more than all the others that are having all kinds of weapons <laughs> in their hands to do so. But let's now move on to look at Jesus commanding us to cast demons out. Um, because anything we would do must be because Jesus said we should do so. Um, and in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, uh, please read that for us so that we can move very quickly. I've got a couple of scriptures here. No, a couple means two. I've got more than two. Hallelujah. Mark 16, 17. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name, and they will speak in new languages. Amen. Amen. So the Bible says that this was as part of the Great Commission. In Mark 16, from verse 15 to 20, you see that Jesus said, Go into the world, preach the gospel to everyone, and those who believe shall be saved. Those who don't believe, they will be condemned. Then it says, these signs shall follow all those who have believed. And the first on the list was, in my name, they will cast out demons. So it means that the thing we are supposed to cast out is a major hindrance to the work we have been given to do. And the work we have been given to do is the will of God. That means demons' operation opposes the will of God. 
So we are told that in, in the name of Jesus, we will cast out. To cast out means to force out. By the name of Jesus, we force out demons from a place. You don't negotiate with them. You force them out. They don't understand gentle language. You know, I told you years ago in London, in the, at that all night, a woman was praying. That church there, until you put fire in the place. So they just pray all night. And they have advertised their spiritual warfare. And you go to the place, the place was very cold. You know, not in the, in the atmosphere, but the, 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 the room, not in temperature, but spiritually it was very cold. And the woman is praying. And she's leading the prayer. Satan, please go away. Satan, please go away. Satan, please go away. I look at her and say, you are joking. You think he responds to please? You are not even mentioning the name of Jesus. Satan, please go away. You can't negotiate with him. He's not a human being. He cannot love. There's no iota of love in him. The Bible says in Proverbs, the tender message of the wicked is cruelty. That means that if Satan is being cruel, that's where he shows his tender mercy. Tender mercy is cruelty. Can you imagine what his wickedness will be? And you are saying, Satan, please. So this sign shall follow those who believe. It means that it is a command that we should cast demons out. Wherever we find them, wherever we descend them, we must cast them out. But we are coming to how. Let's see how Jesus did it. Jesus, we want to trace Jesus' style. Um, the difference between Jesus and us is that one remarkable difference between Jesus casting demons out and us is that he never said in the name of Jesus. Because he's, he's I am. So he just issues the command and they went. So let's see. How do Jesus cast them out? Jesus commanded them out. Jesus commanded them out. That's how he cast demons out. He commanded them. Let's see how he went about it. Um, Matthew 12, 28. Matthew 12, 28. But if I'm casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Amen. Amen. So Jesus admitted he has been casting demons out by the Spirit of God. I'll, I'll still give you five things we need to do to cast demons out. But we are now looking at Jesus' style first because he is our example on how to cast demons out. So we are seeing that he commanded demons to come out. Please, let's take it from Matthew 8, 16. Matthew 8, 16. That evening, many demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command, and he healed all the sick. Amen. Amen. Did you see that? He cast out the evil spirits with a simple command. So that it must, they must be commanded out. They are not suggested out. They are commanded out. A command is the issuance of an authoritative order. That's a command. It's an authoritative order. Now, it means that the person issuing the command must have some authority. And we will get there. Do you have the authority in the name of Jesus to cast them out? Do they recognize you as having that authority? And that's very, very important if we have to cast demons out. The name of the Lord is important, but the vessel doing the casting out must be able to hold the authority. Do you have the authority? He said, I gave. Did we have it? And that's important here. So there must be a command. Nobody gives a command who is not in authority. And that's why a police officer, no matter how big in stature you are, 
as compared to the officer, so long as he's in the uniform, so long as he has been accepted and sworn in as a police officer, when he lifts his hand or he flashes his light behind you, you will stop. You can't proceed further because the authority is coming from a higher level. And so it has nothing to do with the physique of the person, but the person is carrying authority and the person knows they are carrying authority. So it's very, very important that we, we look at that. So he commanded them to come out. And the Bible says he cast them out with a simple command. Very, very important. And then he healed them. At another section, we will see the connection between demons being cast out and healing taking place. Because demons cause diseases. Remember, they destroy a lot of things. They destroy family. They destroy, they destroy everything that is within the will of God. They will destroy it. So, let's look at another scripture. Luke chapter 4, verse 40 to 41. Luke 4, 40 to 41. As the sun went down that evening, people throughout the village brought sick family members to Jesus. No matter what their diseases were, the touch of his hand healed everyone. Many were possessed by demons, and the demons came out at his command, shouting, You are the Son of God. But because they knew he was the Messiah, he rebuked them and refused to let them speak. Amen. Amen. Now, in this verse, we see the two words. He commanded them to come out, and then he rebuked them. He may have done something that is now being described as the rebuke. But we don't, we don't have to use the word, I rebuke you. We have to do what can be described by an outsider, an observer, or even the devil himself to know this is a rebuke. And this was where they wanted to speak. And he would have said, keep quiet. Come out. Now, that's a rebuke. Keep quiet is a rebuke. Come out. And don't speak again here. You see, these things is a clear sign. This is a rebuke. Um, but then we see again the use of the word. And the demons came out at his command. So demons are commanded out, and then they can be rebuked. In other words, they will be doing something, and they'll be told, stop what you are doing and get out of here. Now, that is a rebuke. Okay. Let's see again. Luke 8, 27 to 29. Luke 8, 27 to 29. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. Pause it there. You see, we are talking about who these demons are and what they can do to a man. For a long time, he had been homeless. A demon has made him homeless. And he has been naked. He has been living in cemeteries. Who wants to live in a cemetery? See, a demon can move a man who his parents gave birth to him. They celebrated his birth. Probably took him to the temple, dedicated him, all of that. Now, this somebody's son, totally mad. And a demon is behind it. Please carry on. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. He shrieked as soon as he saw Jesus. You see what presence can do? If you carry the presence of God, demons in anybody will not be able to stand. They will fall. Um, another time we will look at why do people fall under the anointing in a service? Because sometimes we have been accused that, you know, our church people have been falling down. As if we get to a point and I look at the time and say, hey, it's now nine o'clock. It's time for everybody to start falling. <laughs> you know, people fall because there's a manifestation of the presence of God. 
The Bible says, as soon as they saw him, he shrieked. So it's all right when you start hearing people shouting and screaming. And he fell down in front of him. Please carry on. Then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Take, take note of this. You see, when you're reading, it's very interesting. That means that the, the events that we saw in verse 28 was as a result of an order given earlier, which is now being captured in verse 29. So what it means is that it's not that he only saw Jesus and ran, but as soon as Jesus, Jesus will have picked him in the spirit and commanded the demon to leave. And that's when he started shrieking and falling down and doing all of that. And so there was a command given, please carry on. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Mm. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness, completely under the demon's power. So Amen. you see, demons are very powerful. You know, physically, they can be very strong. And when, they are when someone is possessed, that person can be very, very physically strong because of demon's power. This guy was chained many times, but the evil spirit in him makes him break the chains off like that and just moves out. And the family can't handle him anymore. Community can't handle him anymore. But the Bible says Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit. I want you to be taking note of this, commanded. So the first thing is we command them out. And so we are proving with the scriptures, how did Jesus go about it? Because that's the way we must go about it. He commanded them and he has authority over them to command them to come out. And this is um, what happens. A demon can take over somebody and mess him up completely and had to be commanded to come out. And he was also talking. So you see, a demon can talk through someone. Um, we've had encounters where I have to cast a demon out of a young man. Um, back then he was in secondary school, uh, year 11. And then at a certain point, he started speaking with the voice of a female. You know, so that's a different scenario altogether. Um, and it took some time to have all these sort of things leave him. And anytime you move to the next, because he's possessed with different ones, he manifests their nature. He manifests like a dog, another time like a snake, another, and each of them comes out. You know, until this very final one, which was like a mermaid. We have to go towards the sea. Because it was the whole day, it wasn't moving. Then we're led to go towards the seaside. And interestingly, the waters came to where we were, by the shore. But it's not the normal place where the waters stop. The waters stop and they go back. But we were a bit higher up. And it came all the way as this thing started behaving like a mermaid and speaking with a female's voice. And then finally, it departed in the water. The water stayed where we were until it departed into it and he saw it moving. And then the guy was now asking, what are we doing here? All right. But it took a lot of command. And those times, we, we were not very mature, but we were carrying the presence of God. And then when we get tired, we sing around the demon for a long time. <laughs> These days, I don't waste time singing. We command and they leave. Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's take Luke chapter 8. Verse 30 to 33. Luke 8, 30 to 33. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. It's the same man we are talking about, but 
I just paste it, yes, okay. The demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire head plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. Amen. Amen. Now, this is a very unique um, one. Uh, since then, we never saw anything like that where, you know, it's not everything that we know. But as to why Jesus decided to even listen to them and for them to negotiate where they want to be sent to, it's not something that we need to be practicing. Um, we, we don't negotiate with them. We, we cast them out. Uh, but this one, probably they were afraid of where Jesus normally cast them out to. And so they said, let us go into the pigs. But Jesus too, my issue with him was that this is some people's business. And then you let all the pigs, 2,000 of them die like that. Uh, those are things we cannot explain. Uh, he's sovereign and he knows what he did. Um, but it is very, very important to realize that one man could be filled with so many demons, and yet he could cast them out. And in the process, there was a spokesperson for all of them. Uh, this is always what we call the strong man or the stronghold. He's always the one that came in first to open the door. It's like the one that went in and brought in the others. You know, so he's always the spokesperson. And it seems to be the one that was immediately confronted and is the one that is speaking. Uh, sometimes with experience, you realize that when you start engaging demons and one starts talking, don't be deceived that that one has left. There may be others there. They know how to. So it's the presence and the power of God that actually finishes the work. Um, sometimes we don't need to really worry ourselves trying to engage them in a conversation because Jesus did. And sometimes they can deceive you because they are already, they are spirits that deceive. The devil is a deceiver. All demons lie. So you don't believe their story unless you carry the presence like Jesus. And he has to confront him and say, you know, what is your name? Then he says, we are many. Because we know that being God, when he asks a question, it's not that he's ignorant of the answer. So the, devil, the demons also knew that the question he has asked, they cannot hide. Uh, but me and you, they know we are human. And if we carry the presence of God, that's where they begin to succumb and they can leave. But it doesn't mean that we should follow this and that want to engage every demon. What is your name? You know, he will tell you, he will tell you your name as his name. <laughs> he can lie to you because they are liars. Uh, so that is important. But the Bible says Jesus, therefore, gave them permission. In other words, he now ordered them to come out or actually say, now you can move here. You know, again, the exercise of authority and a command was very displayed here. Um. Mark 16.9. Mark 16.9. After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. Amen. Amen. So Mary Magdalene used to be the residential address of seven demons. Seven demons were in her. Jesus cast them out and she became a useful vessel. In the house of God. As she became a follower of Christ, she never turned back. It means that even those demons try to come back, they can't enter her. And she served God to the point where she was qualified to be the one that met the risen Christ and to be given the message to give to Peter that he's alive. 
Amen. So Jesus cast demons out, and Jesus has been casting demons out, and it is therefore not wrong for the believer to cast demons out. Um, the next thing that happens is that we've seen the usage of the words. We have seen commanded. Now we want to see the use of the word rebuked or reprimanded. They mean the same thing. It is, and again, in casting demons out, we are not supposed to use these words. We are not supposed to say, I rebuke you or I reprimand you. Do the thing that constitutes rebuking or reprimanding. And that is important. So look at Luke. Luke chapter 4, verse 33 to 36. Luke 4, 33 to 36. Once when he was in the synagogue, a man possessed by a demon, an evil spirit, cried out shouting, Go away. Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man. You see what happened there? It's like, that is what, that is the description of a reprimand or a rebuke. Be quiet and come out. You know, the guy is going blah, blah, blah. I say, shush, come out. Is it? That is, that actually is what? A rebuke. You know, so if, if we have to rebuke the devil or the demon in a person, we have to say words that constitute that. But we don't have to say, I rebuke you. And we'll be standing there, I rebuke, I rebuke in the morning. He's, nothing is happening. He's just watching you. And you, you look at the demon too, he knows who Jesus was. That means the demon can know who you are. And he says, the Holy One of God. You see what happened to the sons of Sceva? So the same thing. They, they, they say, Jesus, I know. Acts 11, Acts 19. He said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. You see, so that means he knows everyone. A demon can know you. So that's why you, you have to be righteous. Otherwise, a demon will expose you. Because a rebel will not allow another rebel to cast him out. All demons are in rebellion against God. If you are in rebellion against God and his word, you can't cast a demon out. Okay, so we see here that Jesus reprimanded him and said, Be quiet. Come out of the man. These words is what makes a statement or an action as a reprimand. He ordered. Please carry on. At that, the demon threw the man to the floor as the crowd watched. Then it came out of him without hurting him further. Amazed, the people exclaimed, What authority and power this man's words possess? Mm. Even evil spirits obey him, and they flee at his command. Amen. In this scripture, we have seen all the words here. Command, reprimand, etc. You know, so you could see clearly it takes some authority. Even those who were observing says, at his words, the demons flee and they come out. Now, the Pharisees and the Jews, they practice that as well. They practice exorcism. They cast demons out. But they see it at another level. That this may be negotiation, but this one is with authority. Come out. You know, and it's done with a command, with a rebuke. He doesn't let them carry on playing. He just shuts them down and say, come out. That's a rebuke. Okay. Um, Mark 1, 25 to 27. Mark 1, 25 to 27. But Jesus reprimanded him. Be quiet. Come out of the man, he ordered. At that, the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. 
What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority. Even the evil spirits obey his orders. Amen. Amen. So you see that they could even observe that to cast a demon out is to issue an order and be able to silence them. This one again, we are told Jesus reprimanded the demon in the man and commanded him to come out. And then in both scriptures that we read in the Luke 4, 33, and then the Mark 1, 27, uh, 25 and 27, we see that there is a screaming, there is a falling down, and even the man appears as if he's convulsing. So you would see these manifestations when a demon is being cast out of people that they, they manifest different kinds of things. And it doesn't mean that we are in error. It means that there's a power of God. This is happening when Jesus was there. And anytime we see these things, it means that the presence of the power is heavier than what is there. And sometimes the demons struggle to come out. Here you see that the man fell down and was convulsing, sometimes shrieking, shouting. You know, they are struggling to come out. And they will still come out if you still hold your ground. Sometimes they will stretch you a little bit so that you get tired and walk away. <laughs> but when you are heavily anointed, these things move very quickly. <laughs> okay. Um, Please look at Mark chapter 9, verse 38 to 42. Mark 9, 38 to 42. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. These are the people who go down to close, close churches. We are closing other people's churches when because you are not in their camp. <laughs> Don't stop him, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Anyone who is not against us is for us. If anyone gives you even a cup of water because you belong to the Messiah, I tell you the truth, that person will surely be rewarded. 42. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it will be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone hung around your neck. Amen. Amen. So again, we see here, they said they found someone. He wasn't in their group, but he's using the name of Jesus to cast a demon out. And they saw that it is working. You know, and, and that is very, very important that we, we could see uh, that. In, where did we, we did we read Luke 9.38? Luke 9.38. A man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. An evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsion so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long must I be with you and put up with you? Then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father. All gripped the people as they saw the majestic display of God's power. Amen. Amen. So again, we see here the same things. A demon has been 
possessing a boy, making him fall down into fires, etc., foaming in the mouth, convulsions again. Then this time, in the presence of Jesus, the demon threw the boy down and he began to scream, violently convulse the boy, and then gradually he came out. And as that was going on, the Bible says Jesus rebuked the evil spirit. And so sometimes as they are manifesting and trying to do things, you know, all those, their antics, just, you know what, I don't have time for this. Get out of here. Now this is described as a rebuke. And then it leaves the place. We don't have time to be watching you doing this for all this while. Just get out of here. You know, so there must be that rebuke to an action of a demon. And so we sing Jesus' style. And that should be our style. Um, every one of them, you see either there is a falling down, there is some shrieking, there is some convulsion, there is some strange things uh, that happen. Uh, Mark 3, 11 to 12. And then I'll end this then we move to how the apostles did it. Mark 3, 11 to 12. Mark 3, 11 to 12. And whenever those possessed by evil spirits caught sight of him, the spirits will throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking, You are the Son of God. But Jesus sternly commanded the spirits not to reveal who he was. Amen. Again, so you see, that was a rebuke. He sternly commanded them. I'm not here for you. It's not an identity parade. Can you keep quiet and get out of this person and let them be free? You know, so people who were possessed by evil spirits, whenever they even caught sight of Jesus, the Bible says the spirits in them would throw them to the ground in front of him, shrieking. And they, some of them would say, you are the son of God. They'll be saying all kinds of things. We are not interested. Just keep quiet and get out of here. And the authority is key. Now, we will see also that the apostles also approached it the same way. And the most important thing, again, is that how do we do it? In the case of Jesus, he was commanding, but he never said in the name of Jesus. But when it came to the ten of the apostles and us, the way to cast demons out is first of all employ that most powerful key, the name of of Jesus. In Mark 16, 15 to 17, he says, in my name, you will cast out demons. Not in the name of thunder, lightning, um, you know, all the other things. People take canes to all night prayer meetings. Cane and iron rods, and they say they are going to beat the devil. Stones and all kinds of things. I, I remember there was one of such a uh, strange uh, church in Ghana back then. They were meeting at the International Trade Fair. I remember that night when they advertised people should bring canes and um, there was something to syringe. Yes, there is the, you know, the normal syringe for, for enema and all of that. They, that finished, I mean, people, people who sell those things all of, because they had to bring it to the all night. Canes, a lot of canes got finished. Some of them have to be soaked in kerosene. They want to go and whip the devil. I mean, can you imagine this? What kind of teaching is this? You cannot beat the devil. You can't beat the devil out of anybody. 
The name of Jesus is powerful and sufficient. The one who was skillful at casting demons out. We just saw a lot. I haven't finished. I mean, I, I just have to cut some of the scriptures. But if you are looking at every scripture which records Jesus casting demons, we will record more than 30 of that. And we have already read quite a lot this evening. You saw the skill and success of casting demons out. And he is the one saying, my disciples, when I send you to go and do my work, anything concerning the will of God, the greatest opposition will come from Satan and his demons. In my name, cast them out. In other words, by the authority of my name. Because a name is not just the mention of a particular word, but the authority that backs it. That is the key. There's an authority that, that, that the name carries. You know, if, if, we, if you have to send anybody in the name of Her Britannic Majesty, you have to say Queen Elizabeth II. I mean, there's no way anybody's going to comply with any order when I say in the name of Queen Victoria. <laughs> you know, she's gone. That name no longer carries power. It must be the one who is currently reigning. But Jesus is not on some terms that we vote for every year and every five years and who is there to celebrate, you know, some 70 years on the throne and very soon will not be there anymore. But this one is a name that is above every name at the call of which every knee shall bow. And the scripture says of things in the heavens, of things on earth, of things under the earth. That is the scope of that power of the name. And he says, in my name, you cast demons out. So, we, you remember that the disciples told us that even in their days, even when Jesus had not given them that whole charge of the Great Commission, while Jesus was with them, they saw another man, probably has been following Jesus' ministry, he's born again, he's following things. And he was using the name of Jesus in Mark 9, 38 to 39. Mark 9, 38, 39. Mark 9, 38, 39. John said to Jesus, Jesus, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, mm. but we told him to stop because he wasn't in our group. Don't stop him, Jesus said. Mm. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. Amen. Amen. Do you see the usage of the words there? They saw a man using the name of Jesus to cast demons out, and it was working. Then when they said they want to stop him, Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is with us can be against us. Then he says, no one performing miracles in my name. In my name again. So the name of Jesus is what we deploy in casting demons out. Look at the apostles. They, they did that. Luke 10, 17. When he sent them to go. And Luke preach. 10, 17. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him. Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. The demons obeyed us when we use your name. All right. And Mark 16, 17, we've read that already. It says, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. In the authority that I give to them. And they will speak in new languages. Um. Acts 16, 16 to 18. Acts 16, 16 to 18. 
One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. Hallelujah. You see, Paul could pick it by the gift of discerning of spirits um, and could tell that this girl, all that she says is not correct. The demon is in her. But look at the use of all the words here. The Bible says Paul turned and said to the demon within the girl. The demon within the girl. I command you. You see the word again. We command in the name of Jesus. Come out of her. Let's just use these simple instructions. And demons will be leaving. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ. Come out of him. Come out of her. Come out of this house. Come out of this business. Come out of this place. And instantly it left her. Instantly it left her. There must be a command. You have to issue a command to leave. So we see that after Christ left, the apostles were following such routine. Paul was not with them when Christ was with them. He got saved later on. But he, when he was confronted with such a situation, seems to use the same thing. The name of Jesus. Matching the instruction that was given in Mark 16. In my name you shall cast out demons. Let's look at Acts 19. Our famous Acts 19. I always wish this can be acted out. I wish there was a recording of the event in that house. But Acts 19, 11 to 13, and then 15 to 16. Acts 19, 11 to 13. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. When handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. A group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out. And please carry on. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them, overpowered them, and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. Amen. Amen. See, I mentioned to you that demons possessing a person can enable the person to have very strong physical strength, you know, uh, power. And there is one man with seven strong men, and he's able to overpower them, beat them, and they fled naked. That means he beat each of them <laughs> to the point that he could tear off their clothes, and they ran out of the house naked and wounded. Um, but the Bible says that because Paul, you see, verse um, 11 Paul was working miraculous powers by the power of the Holy Spirit, even to the extent that handkerchiefs and aprons could touch his body. And when it is taken 
to people's homes it could minister healing to people by the power of of God that is on you remember when I was teaching the anointing the anointing can be on the man of God can be with the man of God and the bible says and evil spirits even were cast out okay but these Jews who saw what was happening they, that means that for them to try to use the name of Jesus they they have observed that this was the formula that they see that Paul was casting demons out because he was saying, in the name of Jesus, come out. And demons came out. So they also said, well, we've got the formula. We've watched this thing for a while. Let's also go and get some money. So they started moving, you know, their crusade to other houses. And they also came, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. And the demon didn't come out. But the demon rather reported, retorted and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And so, it is not only enough to use the name of Jesus, but the vessel doing the prayer must be righteous. And so, the second thing we need to cast the name of Jesus is a foundation of holy living. A foundation of holy living. So, the name of Jesus, a foundation of holy living, a lifestyle of prayer and fasting, because that continuously creates the atmosphere to walk in the power of God. And then you must be full of the word of God. Because sometimes when you have casting demons out, the Holy Spirit can inspire a scripture and say, use these ones. Because the rima is the, the immediate inspiration of a word of God for a particular situation. And, and sometimes in ministry, I've seen that. You know, we'll be praying and commanding in the name of Jesus. You see manifestations. But at a certain point, the Holy Spirit will inspire, use this particular verse of scripture. And the moment you begin to declare those words, or even I take the Bible and start reading out, you see a vigorous manifestation, a higher dimension of it, and then it doesn't take too long, this demon goes out. But you see another level of response, a defiant response to that instruction which God has asked you to open that particular verse of scripture to, to do. And sometimes the Spirit of God will only work with as much scripture that you have already put there. That is why you must have enough of the word of God in you. Feel your spirit. Daily read the Bible. Read the word of God. The word of God is life and is spirit. And so you must be full of the word. So I've given you, I said number one, the name of Jesus. Two, a foundation of holy living. Three, lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Four, full of the word. Five, full of the Holy Spirit's presence. It is holiness and prayer that brings the presence of the Holy Spirit to operate in a place. You create the atmosphere for the operations of the Holy Spirit in a place. And then sensitivity to the Spirit of God, especially through the spiritual gifts of word of knowledge and discerning of spirits. So you need these spiritual gifts also as a package to, to, to be able to successfully and effectively cast demons out. Uh, I think I've spoken for a very long time. And let's, let's hear some further questions or follow up. Hallelujah. Matters on the Holy Ghost and demons. Uh, when I Amen. was studying for my master's in theology, that's where I specialized. Holy Spirit. If you take it to PhD, still Holy Spirit. And I remember my supervisor himself, we used to call him the fourth member of the Trinity. So others started calling me fifth member. I said, I'm not yet there. This one has been there. You know, but I, anything Holy Ghost, it looks like that is the kind of anointing on my life. So, uh, Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Papa. 
So Bishop has taught us we have to command the spirits out. No negotiations. No die, 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 die. Mm. <laughs> we have to use the name of the Lord. We have to have a lifestyle of prayer and fasting. Mm. We have to have the word in us. And we have to have the Holy Spirit in us. Amen. 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 Um, we have so many questions. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, I want to start with the first one. Mm. When we cast out demons, where do they go? <laughs> Jesus said they go to the desert. <laughs> the Bible says they go to walk in dry places. Um, so when we cast them out, if we are in church and we cast them out, they are supposed to leave the presence and, and get out of that atmosphere because they can't stay in that atmosphere. Um, so they, they leave the place. Um, we, we don't know where else they go but definitely they go out of that vicinity. They first of all leave that person or that place. You know, because sometimes demons can possess a building and we can describe the place as a haunted house. And so in that case, it's not a human being who is there, but certain things have taken place in the place that have actually brought in the presence of demons into that house. When someone is living in that house, they harass that person. That's why we dedicate homes. Because when you buy a new house or you go and rent a new house, we have to come and pray there. Because you never know who was there, what kind of altars they are there, and what is actually suppressing people there. So, but whatever it is, when we cast them out and they move by that authority, they cannot stay in that vicinity. It is also very wise, as we see Jesus do on a few occasions, he has commanded a demon to leave and not to come back. You know, so we always have to also let that be part of our command. You know, get out of here and never come back again. So they leave, but as to where they go, they will go into the spirit realm where they came from, but they will not be able to, you know, I can't tell that they have gone to Thamesmead or Erie or Accra, uh, but they, they will leave. Amen. Amen. Um, the next one, do demons die? No, demons are spirit beings. They don't die. Um, I'm of the strong view that if they do die, we will not have any of them. Because if I look at Apostle Paul and his very strong choleric temperament and sanguine nature. He would have killed all of them. He would kill all of them before we arrive. Uh, Jesus never said we should kill them. And he himself only cast them out. He didn't kill. And then from the scripture we read, he said when an evil spirit is cast out of a man, he goes to walk in some places. So all these demons, there is a final destination for them. The scripture tells us in the book of Revelations, Jesus himself also taught us in Matthew 24, 25, he also says that the hell and the lake of fire was prepared for the devil and his angels. That tells you the devil, one entity, his demons were his angels. There is a place, a final destination prepared for them. And they knew it. You remember one of them, when he met Jesus, he said, are you here to destroy us before the time? You know, then one of them said, don't cast us into the bottomless place. That's a place we are afraid of, afraid of because one day Satan is going to be put in there. Um, so they don't die. So it is unbiblical for you to pray. Demons die. All spirits following me roast and die. I promise you in the name of Jesus, they don't roast and they won't die. It's a very unscriptural prayer and unbiblical prayer. See, sometimes we approach the devil as if we are dealing with another human being. So we're trying to use things that will kill a human being on that. That one has been around for a long time. You can check with Adam. 
<laughs> he has been around for a long time. He had fought every man of God. He's been there. If he really dies and they all die, they would have been dead by now. So we cast them out. That's what Jesus said we should do. We shouldn't worry ourselves about where they go. They can go get loosed for a while. They try to come back in. We cast them out. It's a continuous operation until Christ returns. Hallelujah. Thank you so much, Papa. Um, I'm going to go through the so that I don't miss any of them out. Um, the first one I have here online is a follow-up to the question about whether we had some geographical areas that had more um, demons than others. And um, you said when you were talking that demons, they cause distraction wherever they are. The question is, is poverty and lack of development in a geographical location always a manifestation of demonic activity? Um, yes and no. Um, but I believe that poverty is not a nice thing. It's not something to be celebrated. Um, Jesus said the poor you always have with you, but it doesn't say that, you know, God takes delight in the poverty of people. At least the scripture that comes in to say that he, he actually takes delight in the prosperity of his people. Um, and so when we study and we pray and we have wisdom and enlightenment, people will receive education, they'll get enlightened, get a skill, be able to work and earn a living. And that is the first step towards curing poverty. Education is key, etc. But there are also certain places where you will see that the manifestation of demonic control influences the mindset, the culture, and behavior of the people. That they are even opposed to development. You know, there are places in Africa, some places we have been and seen. There are places some of us have also come from where no matter the development you are bringing, people are just opposed to it. Um, I do remember many years ago, the former president of Ghana uh, wanted to transform uh, the capital and especially more of my area, my people. And so he wanted to actually relocate them from the, the, the ancestral kingdom itself and then build some skyscrapers and some things there. They resisted it that they can't leave their gods. Now, there are other places outside, even if I'm taking Ghana, outside Accra. There are some places in, the, in other regions where you have been and you realize that even bringing electricity to the place, there was an opposition. You know, whether it's a camp of witches, etc. You know, sort of like they don't like to see light. You know, so there's a certain satanic control on the mindset of people that can bring them backwards. Um, and I believe that the power of God can bring light to people and see the way out. So yes, on that score, it is possible that satanic control can blind people and let them actually enjoy the blindness of a retrogressive life until their eyes get open. You know, because sometimes the salvation that comes from God will make them stop some of the, you know, rituals that are barbaric, that is cannibalism or, you know, shedding of blood, human blood, etc. All those things. So in that way, if development is coming to the place, they will oppose it. You know, and on the other side, it may not be satanic at all, but it is just that, you know, lack of understanding, lack of education, etc. can put people in poverty. Because when there's no education, when there's no skill being imparted, etc., there won't be any jobs. 
And so the people will continue to be poor. But then on the flip side, there's also a particular area sometimes you see this is a demonic control, satanic inspired mindset that is keeping them in perpetual darkness. Um, and, and, and that is possible. Thank you very much, Papa. You're welcome. <clears throat> the next one, mm. it says, um, if a depressed person is cutting him or herself in order to feel something, is it a demon harassing the person or a demon living in the person? If the person is born again, then it's a demon harassing the person. If the person is not born again, the chances of possession is also great. You know, whenever we talk about possession, you realize that you are not in control of your faculties. You know, it has taken over. Um, like the way a virus will take over a cell. You know, and begin to now rewrite and begin to do the coding. Like the way HIV does. It takes over your immune system and starts coding for things and everything to mess you up. Um, so that is spirit possession. You know, sometimes you see that, again, we don't see that so much here, even though it is there. In, in Europe, but in Africa, sometimes during the festivals, etc., you see spirit possession. Someone suddenly becomes possessed, and they said the spirit has possessed the person. You realize the person is not in control of themselves. They are actually doing strange things, you know, especially some of the twin festivals uh, back in Africa. You, you see uh, when they carry that thing with the leaves in it and all of that. As soon as they carry it, you feel the person has been possessed, and he's just moving in some direction. Uh, sometimes at certain funerals, depending on the spiritual level of the person, uh, some people get possessed. And they claim that the person who is dead has possessed the person, but we know these are familiar spirits. But that person is not themselves. They begin to speak things. They begin to, they have some extra strength, you know, carrying the coffin in some directions, going, and sometimes they can lead it to the person who they believe has killed the person. You know, so all these things are happening. But they can walk miles, etc. The only thing is that when it's getting to 6 o'clock, they still change it, that the person gets buried. You know. But <laughs> these demons can do some of these things. Um, and so if somebody is actually self-harming, it is highly possible. Because, you see, for that to be happening, the person will be hearing voices. And that could not be the voice of the Holy Spirit. It could be the voice of that spirit who is trying to harm this person to destroy. Satan comes to steal to destroy, and to kill. So you will see clearly that that is the intention of the spirit here. After all, the devil wants people dead quickly because he knew they are not coming back. So they don't get a chance to be saved, to be born again. Um, and when that is happening, we deal with it in two ways. Whilst we pray to cast the demon out, we also encourage a medical attention so that we can handle it both ways. Because sometimes after you have cast the demon out, it is possible that there is a scar that can only be touched by a medical expert or a psychiatrist so that we combine both without leaving the demon. Somebody too may be in that state and the demon is not responsible for that. And so that treatment easily can be commenced. But both ways, we will lose nothing if we cast the demon out. Amen. 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 And the next one, I think we touched on it in the beginning, but I'll ask it again. Yeah. Um, please, can the person who is possessed know that he or she is possessed? If yes, how can it be identified? And if not, what needs to be done to identify that it is a demon possessed within that person? Okay. Let me answer it from the second question. How can we identify it? By the gifts of the Holy Spirit especially the gift of word of knowledge, the gift of discerning of spirits. 
That's how Paul was able to detect that this girl, she's saying all the right things, but what she's saying is not of God. What the girl is saying was that these are the men of God that show us the way of salvation. Acts chapter 16. Paul, Barnabas, Silas, all of that team, they are the men of God. They show us the way of salvation. She continued it for some days, and Paul picked it in his spirit and said, no, this is not correct. And he cast the demon out. So it would take, and the Bible says that there were few people who were brought to Jesus. There was a boy who could not talk. And when he was brought to Jesus, Jesus descended, and he says, you deaf and dumb spirit, come out. Now, so that means the boy has seen medical attention, gone everywhere, but they can't tell that it's a demon. It takes the spirit of God in Christ to descend that. So we need the operations of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the believer. It is one of the most important ways of descending the, rather than suspicion. Because if we move into suspicion, we may call people witches who are not witches. It must be clearly by the power of the Holy Spirit. And whenever the Holy Spirit picks anything out, the direction and instruction on how to deal with it also comes along with it. And so we are able to use the name of Jesus to actually set this person free. If the person doesn't know, this is how we pick it up. If the person knows, we will still cast the demon out of the person. Did I answer the question? There's a, there's a, a particular phrase there. I don't know whether I did answer. It says, if, if yes. And then there was an yes, if no. So both ways, the identification will be from, from this. But then also there are things that you can also observe that, you know, doesn't make sense sometimes. You, you will see a trend of behavior and you will realize that this doesn't line up well. You know, it doesn't line up well. There are people that, you know, something, a spirit possesses them or comes to take over their behavior. And that is a particular spirit that runs through the family. So sometimes golden opportunity opens and then that's when the thing just comes on them and they misbehave. You know, I know someone who has been praying for someone in her life, you know, in terms of marriage. And yet anytime that door is opening, you know, whenever that door is opening, that's where she misbehaves. You know, somebody's interested, the person starts calling you and say, I don't want to pick it, I'm not in the mood. And then you lose it, and then you turn right again, next time you are crying to God, I need this. I mean, can you imagine? You see, it means that something has been coming. That thing must be cast out. It's a demon. It's fighting everybody in the line. You, know, you cannot just say you are not in the mood. <laughs> Phone call to you are not in the mood. Something is wrong somewhere. You know, so you see that trend sometimes. You find a family where all the men in the family, they beat their wives. And in one case where I was angry, the man was surprised. said, we are family, that's how we are. I said, you can't be like that. If this is how your father was, your uncles were, you cannot be beating people that way. It means something is wrong. You know, so they, they, they are born again, but this thing seems to be running. It, it means it's a spirit that must be cast out. Amen. 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 How can a demon be cast out of a mental, mentally ill person with um, schizophrenia or bipolar manic episodes? Because it seems to be more difficult. Um, when there is a, uh, a clear diagnosis, this is it. Um, like I said, we approach it in two ways. We don't discount the medical or the psychiatric approach. Um, and we know that medicine can give names to things 
that Satan can cause. But we also believe that God has also given scientists skills. It's part of the knowledge given to treat. Otherwise, Paul would not have been having Luke, the beloved physician. Scripture have to mention his profession, and he's always accompanying the man of God. Uh, and Paul is somebody who suffered a lot of you know, assault and battery uh, for preaching the gospel. That means that this man there has been there to ensure that he gets treated and healed. So they needed that person with them. Um, so when we have such a situation, it doesn't matter what name. We need to have faith in the name of Jesus that at the call of the name of Jesus, every spirit of schizophrenia will have to come out of the person. We command it out and we'll continue to command it in his name. There's no other formula than to carry that in his name. And like I said, there are levels of the anointing. There are levels of the anointing. There are some things you may struggle with. Another may come with a higher anointing to deal with it. Um, so in terms of how we deal with certain situations, there are some things you may deal with it. You carry the presence of God, the name of Jesus. But we also know that there are levels of the anointing upon each and every one of us. Um, the apostles who were struggling with that boy in Mark chapter 9, in Mark chapter 6, they had gone to cast demons out and anointed many with oil. So the Mark chapter 9 event was not a new thing for them. But it took Jesus to come and deal with it. And then he explained to them, this time, you need to have done something further. Fasting and prayer. That's why I told you earlier on, a lifestyle of fasting and prayer creates the atmosphere for certain levels of encounters with God and power with God. You know, so there are, there are levels of the anointing. The, the, um, Moses was carrying a certain level of anointing. Elijah was carrying a certain level of anointing. Jacob was carrying another level. It was Jacob who was the father of the nation. He met God face to face. His name was, became the rest of the names of the nation. They were not called Jacobites. They were called Israelites from that encounter with God. So the man carries authority and power. He has met God face to face, held God till daybreak. The man carries power. He has so much power that on his deathbed, he could determine the destiny of each of his sons and their descendants right on his deathbed. You know, pronouncing a curse on Reuben and pronouncing everything, which all is correct and came to pass. Reuben was cursed. But 400 years later, when Moses also came, he also met God at another level. He met God face to face. The Bible says, and God talked to Moses like the way a man talks with his friend. He received the Ten Commandments from God. He also met God at a higher level. In Deuteronomy 33, when Moses was about to depart, he also looked at the tribes and began to pronounce blessings. And when he got to Reuben, he said, let Reuben live and not die. He reversed it. There are levels of anointing. Elijah carried an anointing. Elisha carried a double portion. So there are levels of anointing which I believe that there are certain things ordinary congregation member may struggle with, but someone with a pastoral anointing will deal with it. At a certain point, something pastors may struggle with. When the general overseer comes in, he will deal with it. You know, so there are levels of the anointing. And so I believe that when we are faced with such levels, we have to see if we have tried something enough, call for help. Amen. Amen. And that leads right to my next question. Yes. Um, the question was that, um, do we have um, a certain level of spirituality that you have to be before you can cast out certain types of demons? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jesus seemed to have suggested something like that to say this kind will not live except by fasting and prayer. That means a preparation of fasting and prayer. Um, we can't, you know, have a, a measuring uh, 
parameter to say, oh, you need to have fasted 40 days and then this will start working. But I believe that if we have to practice these things I have shared with you, these five or six things that I mentioned consistently, using the name of Jesus and then on the foundation, the name of Jesus is one, but the preparation is the rest of the five. That is a constant daily preparation. The word, feed your spirit with the word of God. Fasting and prayer, and that's not to say you are fasting every day of the week. But at least once a week, there must be a fasting and a prayer life of a believer. Um, and in that exercise, it opens the spiritual realm. It opens the spiritual gates. It creates the atmosphere. Um, for anything to work, atmospheres are necessary. Atmospheres are important. There are certain atmospheres, you can't do certain things in them. You know? So you, you, you create an atmosphere. And one of them is an atmosphere of fasting and prayer, the word. And then walking in holiness. Because if you check the scriptures, all the men of God were described as holy men. Holy men were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to write the scriptures. You know, holy men used, and the Bible used the words, and they were full of the Holy Spirit. Paul, full of the Holy Spirit, looked at Elimas and commanded a curse on him. So, full of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the name of the Spirit of God is Holy Spirit. He works best in holy vessels. So, the stress on holiness is so key. You know, we can't have this on the mountain, in the valley type of Christian life, where today we are up on the mountain, then we fall. Then we rise again, we fall. That, that doesn't give you that sort of authority. Um, again, you realize that those sons of Skiva were not spiritually there. The demon was able to say to them, <laughs> you guys, I'm not afraid of you. You, know, you can use the name, but you don't have the preparation. You don't have a relationship with God. So one must have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, a lifestyle of holiness, and prayer, and this sort of continuous atmosphere. There are so many things that happen in the spirit. We can't explain all, nor do we know all. But what I know from experience in the word of God and in my life or in others that I've seen, you see that that continuous practice shifts something in the spirit. That some time ago, something you used to struggle with, now you come in and you just come on and it's, it's just gone. That means that something has changed about the atmosphere around you and the unction on your life. And so I believe that is the procedure by which we attain that level of spirituality around us. That we must be very righteous. What are the things that occupy our thoughts? You know, that is a, because Satan is working around the clock all the time. We, we just want to take a holiday. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The Lord help us. Um, I have an interesting question here. Yes. If a person is having dreams of having sex with an unknown individual... Mm. And then waking up, noticing they've ejaculated. Mm. Is this person demon-possessed or afflicted? And how do they overcome this? All right. So, again, this scenario can be two um, causes. One is nothing. The person probably was thinking about settings or was watching some movies and went to sleep in that. But if this is a consistent thing that is happening then there is the possibility of a spiritual attack. Um, and when it is like that, again, there is no hard um, formulas. But what we know from the leading of the Holy Spirit and previous experiences through the Word of God also is the fact that whenever this is going on, there is always a chance of a bewitchment. Um, and then also the, the possibility and the chance of 
um, of an entity that is coming to um, create a situation where there is an attachment or a marriage. Um, so such a person um, may struggle with certain areas of their lives. Again, this can also produce or impart into the person a spirit of promiscuity. And so that person, you know, sometimes finds themselves, you know, easily giving in to sex. And they don't seem to know why that happens. Because that is, so it could be both a combination, either a possession or an harassment uh, by a demon. But most of the time when that is happening, something is being imparted into you or a covenant is being formed. You know, so some of those people sometimes may marry all right, but there's no peace in their marriage because there seems to be a third person in the home. And such, or sometimes also they never get married at all because there seems to be something that every other person sees. Whoever is interested in them seems to see the rival there. You know, and therefore they back off and they can't explain why. Sometimes they enter a relationship and suddenly somebody backs off all of a sudden and I can't explain why. It's, it's, it's a sign that something like this has been going on. But anytime you, are, you see that sort of situation, it's either a form of bewitchment or this sort of covenant being formed by a power of darkness. An entity has taken over. And sometimes it may have many, many sources. It may be who you have had sex with before. That is where the thing was coming from. Or something you went to eat or a spell that has been cast, or any form of door that open, and that's how the, the devil believes this is how they should attack you. you know, so, so many things can happen in that realm, but it is definitely um, a form of um, possession or harassment. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome. Um, I think I have three more questions. Okay, let's, let's go. So long <laughs> as the people are waiting. <laughs> Is schizophrenia and bipolar a real medical thing or more likely a spiritual thing? That is, is someone that has been diagnosed with schizophrenia always possessed? Okay, so the question is whether it is always a medical thing or it is always a spiritual thing. Um, we know that anything that is not normal has spiritual roots. Um, and that is not to say that you don't seek medical attention in that. But there are many things that medicine can correctly diagnose and still will not be able to sort out because there's a demon behind it. And when we look through the scriptures, we also see that. We see a deaf person brought to Jesus. We see someone who could not talk was brought to Jesus. And Jesus cast the demon out. If that person was taken to hospital, a very clear diagnosis would be made and a name will be given as to why he doesn't talk. When that woman who was coiled, you know, bent over, medically, that's scoliosis. It's a nice name. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a diagnosis, isn't it? But when Jesus came, he said, Satan has bound this woman for 18 years. I have to set her free. He said, woman, you are loosed. And immediately, she stood straight. So you find out that there's the medical diagnosis, but then there's another diagnosis beyond that. So Satan can create problems. Demons can possess people. Demons can create problems. And definitely there will be human, physical, or you know, um, medical diagnosis given to the thing. When Job's children died in Job chapter 1, the Bible tells us clearly that Satan caused a strong east wind to blow against the building. 
and the building fell on his children and they all died. If experts, building technology experts were sent to the place, they would do a very correct assessment of the situation and might say that there is some structural defects that resulted in that. But actually, spiritually, something really we now know it was Satan who was behind it. So in terms of bipolar and schizophrenia, speaking from the spiritual standpoint, there could be clear manifestations of a satanic connection to that. I mean, what King Saul was suffering from was very clear schizophrenia. But the Bible tells us an evil spirit from the Lord possessed him and gave him that situation. So that was possible. We see people cutting themselves, etc. Uh, people saying they are hearing voices here and there. We don't only have to limit things to just medical explanation because medical explanation has got its limitation. Uh, as I always said, the stethoscopes and microscopes of doctors don't feel demons and can't see demons, but a demon can be behind it. So whilst we are combining the drugs and treatment, we still believe God for prayer and, and, and keep casting it out or pray, Father, whatever it is here, stretch your hand and heal. And I believe that God is able to do that. So um, basically, that, that would be my response to that. It's, it's, it's both. Thank you, Papa. You're welcome. Does tongue speaking have any effect on casting out demons? Yes. Tongue speaking has a very strong effect on casting demons out. Um, there are many reasons why God tells us to do something or gives a particular gift. We will not be able to exhaust all. But at least the Bible tells us that when we pray in tongues, we are speaking mysteries directly to God. The Bible also tells us that when we pray, the Holy Spirit prays through us. So that means that the Holy Spirit is able to give us the right words to use in prayer in that prayer language. Um, I've had encounters, especially with that situation where I described that we had to finally cast that last demon in the sea. Um, and, and yet, at one point, you know, this demon was saying, stop speaking that language there. You know, clearly, I wasn't speaking Ga or English. I was speaking in tongues, and it's becoming very uncomfortable with that. Uh, because you may be issuing certain commands in the Spirit to their understanding, which the Holy Spirit may communicate to you to, to pray on, uh, because these are spiritual languages as, as well as some of them are, they are physical languages as well. You know, so, of course, because in the, in the realm of the spirit or in heaven, I'm, I'm sure there's only one language they speak there. They can't be speaking different languages in, in heaven. Uh, but if the Holy Spirit gives us languages to speak and pray in tongues, uh, there, there will be definitely an impact on that. It could be that you are praying directly to God about an intervention and God could send the intervention for the deliverance of that person. So we will not know exactly all that we are saying. The Bible says, however, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. His mind is not part of it. His understanding is unfruitful, but his spirit man is doing the prayer. So there is definitely a connection to that. Thank you very much, Papa. Amen. Um, we have a follow-up question to the one on the schizophrenia and bipolar. Right. So the, the question is, so can it just be purely a medical issue with no spiritual underlings as well? It is possible. I mean, the, the general rule is that Every, every disease comes from the devil. Jesus died on the cross to deliver us from the curse of the devil. Um, and indeed, whenever Jesus met people who were possessed, he cast the demons out of them. 
And the people that were, you realize that if any time you read the scriptures, it tells you, and many demons were cast out and the people were healed of their infirmities. So the presence of a demon causes an infirmity. Now, there could be a case of a plain, you know, genetic disorder. But we believe that every other thing that may be wrong may be coming from the devil. But there could be also a plain genetic disorder which may result in that. And so if that is the case, yes, it can be possible uh, that that is the case. In that case, we still don't give up. The kind of prayer you pray, therefore, is not a demon to live, but to ask God to touch and heal by his power. Because Jesus healed certain people and didn't cast a demon out. He repaired what looked like a damage to what he created. Uh, there was a man who was blind. They brought a blind man to him. He touched the man, and then the man, he asked the person, can you see? The man said, I see, but I see men like trees. Then he laid hands on him again and prayed, and then the man said, I can see more clearly. So there, there will be different dimensions. So in case of bipolar uh, situations and, and that, there could be something that may be not necessarily a direct influence of a demon, but it could be a genetic issue which may cause that problem. And therefore, in that prayer, the point is that, you see, even if we pray that demon get out of here and there's no demon, we haven't lost anything. Mm -hmm. But again, we move further to even pray, Father, in Jesus' name, this doesn't look like what you made from the beginning. This doesn't bring you glory. Unless you tell us specifically, you actually allow this to bring you glory. There was a man who was born blind. They asked Jesus, did this man's parents sin? Or was it he who sinned? Jesus said, neither sinned. But this condition is there to bring glory to God. That's in the end. That means that God intends to heal it to bring him glory at a point in time. So here, when we get to such a situation, we can pray to God and say, Father, touch this one too and heal him. So we don't necessarily have to say we want to cast demons out if we are believing that this is purely medical. You know, I mean, if somebody allows mosquitoes to bite them and they suffer from malaria. It's not a demon. <laughs> it's just that we expose ourselves from malaria too, for, for mosquitoes to have a, have a feel of our blood. You know, they, they just fed on us. And then they also transmitted plasmodium that finally made us sick. Uh, so in that case, we just take all the necessary uh, tablets to treat malaria and then pray that God be merciful to you that you don't die out of this and no complications out of that in Jesus' name. And that, that's fine. And again, again, there's nothing wrong in casting a demon out. If there is a demon that takes advantage of it, we get him out. Both ways, we don't lose. Amen. 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 Um, there was a question about how to cast out demons from a mentally ill person. Mm -hmm. And there was a follow-up question on how should the nursing therapist preach the gospel to such people? The nursing therapist. If the nurse or the therapist is born again, then definitely, of course, it depends on the state of the person at that point in time. Because there's a state where, there's a time where they, you know, anything you are saying, they are not really complying. They are not themselves. So they will not understand what you are presenting. You can only present it when you find them in a sober state where you realize that very simple instructions are being complied with and you are able to have coherent conversation with them. And in that case, if the opportunity presents itself, then you can present the short message of Christ, especially telling them about the love of God 
that God loves them. Um, and that what they are going through is not necessarily their fault. You need to first of all assure them because they have a mindset that probably it is their fault. Most of the time they try to blame themselves first. And if they are hearing voices, that voice is telling them it's somebody else who they must try and kill. You know, so you have to find out that. And that they need an assurance of love. And you tell them that there's a, greatest, there's a great lover. And that is God who loves them so much. He allowed his son to die to pay every penalty of their sins. And any sin that they have committed, anything that is making them guilty, there is already a provision of forgiveness. And that if they accept this message, God right here can forgive them and cleanse them. And his Holy Spirit can come into their lives. And that Holy Spirit in them can let them live a normal life. You know, so when you assure them with the word of God, it is one of the ways that you can present the gospel to them. Um, again, listening to God and then being mindful also of the work environment and the laws governing the place in terms of uh, ministering to the patients under your care. And sometimes you can be attacked uh, based on that. So I, I believe that's one one way in which you can talk to such a person if they are in their right mind. Is there a follow-up? <laughs> um, there was one question, but I'll take this one first before, okay. of course, this is a really interesting one. Right. Um, is there a difference between African and European witches? I'm asking because we don't hear of destructive works of witches in Europe and America like we do in Africa. Okay. Um... Satan is still Satan, and he's the same. Remember, his schemes of operations is intended to deceive first. So he has a way of making people think that witches in Europe are very civilized. <laughs> but they shroud it in a way to destroy things differently from how things are destroyed in Africa. Um, and so you can look at all the developments and be deceived to think it's development. But just look at the moral decadence and corruption that is going on in terms of people's morality, people's lack of faith in God, and all of that. And see, that is a powerful strategy to make you look at physical developments and wealth and forget about people totally defying God, redefining marriage, fighting against the word of God, fighting against the existence of Christ in church, atheism, all these things, these are all powers of darkness. Again, many people, a new generation has been born. You see certain children, you realize that their behavior is amazing. It's strange. You know, there's no fear of God, nothing. They just destroy things. Just Because back in Africa, because you've seen what witches can do, I haven't seen pregnant women walking the streets and with their bare, you know, their belly showing, they are wearing short tops. Thou shall, you, you are finished. That baby will be trapped and be taken out of the womb and kicked ball somewhere and brought back in. By the time he's born, all kinds of things are not right with the baby. Now, we think we have freedom here and people are doing that, but look at the kind of children being born out of this sort of things that people easily display. Just showing their tummy, they are pregnant and they are doing all these things. You, you are giving them a room to access something they shouldn't be accessing. You know, in the name of freedom. So Satan is operating, which is operate here. We, if you are very spiritual, in Europe you will see them. <laughs> they do their meetings, they do stuff. 
They go to places. There are times in the night you see some kind of movements on the streets. You see congregations. They are wearing stuff, long robes. Sometimes at 2 a.m. If you, if you are sent on assignment as sometimes God sends us to go and pray in the communities and things. You see something. You meet something. And you realize that no. Uh, because you are asleep and they are wearing suits. So you think that they are fine. Those back home, they have got their hair, you know, so unkempt. You know, you can easily see them. They do certain things and you can tell. But they are the same. They are the same everywhere. There's no, don't believe the lie of the devil that there are some good witches and bad witches. And that the Europeans use their witches to do good things. There's nothing good that comes from the devil. There's nothing good about witchcraft. The prescription from God's word is that suffer not a witch to live. It means that depend, no, no matter the continental location or geographical location, they are not supposed to live, let alone to say we commend these ones. <laughs> a witch is using the power of Satan. So depending on their jurisdiction and job assignment, they will destroy at a certain level at some place, which is so visible for everyone, and they destroy at another level covertly that you don't see, but they are destroying they are destroying. There are witches on assignment fighting churches every day in the United Kingdom. Yeah, yeah, in Europe. So please don't clap for them. There's no good witch nor bad witch. They are all witches and they are bad. <laughs> Hallelujah. There are no good witches and no bad witches. They are all bad. No good witches. Amen. Amen. Papa, can you cast out demons from someone who is not unwilling? Who is not willing? So against their, without their consent, you know, some people, maybe you, you meet a, let's say, a fetish priest who <laughs> really enjoys what he does. Can you cast out the demons from that person? And if you can, how do you then guard against the fact that the demons will go and come back and come and see if the, the place is still free for them? Mm. So it's essentially, it's casting out demons automatically leading to them accepting Christ and being able to live a righteous life? Or is there something more we have to do after we cast out demons from someone? Okay. Um, for example, the particular example you gave on a fetish priest. Um, you see, God gave us free will. For anyone to be a witch or to be a fetish priest, they have willingly gone through certain initiation rituals to formally and legally invite this demon and demons into them. So those ones, unless they give you the permission, the, the, the vessel is unwilling to, to let go. So really, you can cast out, you know, because the, the vessel... Is not willing to, to let go. Sometimes the presence of God can overwhelm that person. So they may fall, and then you, you see that God's power has over, overpowered that demon in the person and, and command it out. And maybe at that point, that person may wake up, you know, to realize what has happened to me. Let me live, give my life to Christ. I mean, if you check the scripture in the Acts 16, you will find out that the girl that Paul cast the demon out, there was no reference that she became born again. Her bosses became upset, and they started beating Paul and take them away. So that means that it was an unwilling situation, but because, you know, 
that spirit was directly also waging war and attacking Paul's ministry. He has to take authority and command it out. But the girl did not give her life to Christ. You know, so it, it is possible that someone, that situation can happen. If there's that unwillingness, then it won't happen. You know, just same thing, God can't come and possess us and fill us with his Holy Spirit uh, if we don't accept the salvation message of Christ. You know, there must be a direct invitation from our side uh, that, that will make that possible. Uh, but if we have to uh, minister to such people, we have to intercede for them. Second um, Corinthians chapter um, 3, verse 3 to 4 says that if our gospel be hid, it is hid to those who are lost. Satan has blinded their mind. So you do your own intercession, you know, dealing with every spirit that is possessing them. And as you continue to pray, God will create a circumstance by which they will be delivered uh, from it. So I think that that will be the approach. I don't know whether I have answered the question yes, please. Uh, correctly. Thank you very much. And I think we'll take our very last question this okay. evening. Um, Today has been a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> what are spiritual hijackers and paradigms? Hey, <laughs> my God. Where are these ones coming from? Spiritual hijackers and spiritual paradigms. I can't find, can they tell me which part of the scriptures they found these words? <laughs> uh, but I, I suspect, I suspect that uh, it, it might, I, I don't know the paradigms, but uh, I believe that if they are hijackers, then it might be, might be spirit beings that are, uh, in terms of their activities, um, you know, try to, it's witchcraft. To be honest, anytime you try to take over, to dominate, to control, or to steal something, to, 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 to you know, it's like a coup d'etat, you know, taking something by force, uh, that is uh, a form of hijacking something. So in terms of spiritual hijackers, it, there might be, uh, I know that sometimes people have used such words to describe spirit beings that have been assigned to, you know, take away people's dreams and visions and purposes in life. If that's where the person is coming from, then that, that, could, be, that could be that. And again, it, it could, just, it could be um, coming from an altar. Most of the time, it is, again, it is wizardry because that is sending a spirit to actually attack someone and create circumstances in that person's life to actually rob the person of their vision, their motives, etc. Especially also when they get to know. She said people are like Balaam. Balaam wanted to go. God says, don't go. He was offered so much. Eventually, he, he understood Israel and realized the only thing that will make a curse work is if they fall into sexual sin. So the Bible says it was Balaam who taught the children of Israel how to commit fornication with the Canaanite people. Um, and therefore, that door was open. And, and then a curse came on the people. So we could have people like that who knowing the covenant you are carrying uh, can actually create circumstances to tempt you in that area until you fall there and then you lose your purpose and vision like something. Uh, so a Delilah is, 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 is like a vision, you know, a hijacker. In terms of paradigms, of course, we know these are shifts. So it, it could be changes of the spiritual climate around someone, depending, if it is in a positive direction, the person must be walking a holy life. So in that case, nothing... Whatever will happen will be God taking you from one level to the other. But if it is in the negative, then of course you are shifting from God to satanic 
you know, in terms of uh, satanic operations. So if that's where the person is coming from, because of course these words, they, we can't find them in the Bible. They are, they are things that people experience and therefore use them uh, very often. Uh, but sometimes we don't have to be carried away with such jargons. Uh, we just have to be moved by the power of God and, and realize that there's nothing, no matter their name, can stand the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow, 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 wow. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The marathon has come to an end. <laughs> <laughs> the paradigm has shifted. The paradigm has shifted. Hallelujah. Amen. Um, so I remember when Bishop was talking earlier, he said that demons um, prevent us from doing the assignment of God. We know that we have to build hundred churches in 10 years. And so we'll have some demons trying to prevent us from getting there. But Bishop has this evening equipped us to deal with the demons. It is left with us to take this five or six keys that he gave us, that we have to have the word. We have to have the Holy Spirit within us. We have to have a lifestyle of prayer and right and fasting, a lifestyle of righteousness, and to use the word, the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We've Amen. been equipped this evening to do the work of God. Mm. Please, let's put our hands one more time and say thank you. It's, it's been very powerful, Papa. Amen. Thank you so much for enlightening us and opening our, opening our understanding mm. and equipping us to deal with the things that we have to deal with Amen. ahead of us. Amen. 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 